You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. So, Ian Shaw, man, I'm, I'm curious, uh, how did you get your start in the music industry? Um, it started in... 2000, I couldn't be bothered travelling to Manchester for gigs anymore. So I started bringing bands to my local venue. I hadn't even been to my local venue previously. Um, my local venue at the time was Central Station in Wrexham. I had not long moved to Wrexham. I'd been there about a year. I hadn't really ventured out. I didn't really know anybody. And then um, I saw that in me were playing Central Station in Wrexham. I'd already seen them in Manchester. I went to go and get tickets to them. Couldn't make it. And then uh, I had a meeting with the guys in the venue there. And then I said, I was interested in bringing some bands to Wrexham. What did you think? And they were just like, yeah, you know, let us know who you want to bring. Uh, we'll work with you. And uh, that's kind of how it started. And it was uh, my first ever show in Wrexham was either September or October 2003. And I brought a band called Number One Son who were signed to Visible Noise, and Visible Noise was the infamous label that had the likes of Lost Profits when they were, you know, big and famous, and uh, early Cradle of Phil stuff uh, on one of their subsidiaries. So it was, it was a cool label at the time, Bullet For My Valentine were on there, Bring Me The Horizon were on there, and it was one of those early labels. Uh, so it was a cool band to bring, they were on Scuzz, and that's kind of how it started from there. You know, I did my first gig, I did a few more gigs, um, I launched a club night for under 18s, uh, which became pretty successful. I did some over 18s club nights. Um, and then probably about 2005, six, um, I started working for Lot Records based out of Worcester. Um, started doing all their press and publicity. You know, when the well, bands were releasing albums, I was getting the reviews and features in Rock Sound and Kerrang, Big Cheese, Fantastic, whatever. Um, and then from that, uh, I noticed that I was struggling to get my bands some press and publicity because they had no tour dates. So I started booking all the tours for the bands on the label. Uh, and then I moved to another booking agency called Factory Music while still promoting gigs uh, in Wrexham. And then uh, moved from Factory Music to TKO about six years later. <coughs> and then... Uh, was still doing Wrexham and Chester, but we'd opened another venue in Chester at the time. And I moved to Birmingham about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. And then um, I launched a venue in Birmingham called the Ublek. That didn't pan out quite as well as expected. It wasn't my venue, I was just working for the guys there. And we fell out. And then I opened up and launched Surprise Dead Music um, in Birmingham while still being a booking agent for TKO and running my own venue in Chester. Mm. Yeah, you see, because you're doing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, been involved in a lot of aspects uh, of the industry over the years. Mm. TKO, so so for those listening who are maybe unsure, so you're one of the, the biggest rock and alternative booking agencies in the, in the world. Um, an absolutely stacked roster, uh, Danny Warsnop, um, Alien Amp Farm, F- Fozzie. Um, explain your role at, at TKO then, because 
it, it's not just UK. Am, am I correct in saying you you kind of scope the globe with this? Um, I mean, I, I do, but I mean, obviously, TKO was set up by um, Dave Kirby, Andrew Goodfriend, and Mike Monterello, who were at the agency group, another booking agency at the time. Um, they left and they set up their own company. Was running for obviously a good few years. Uh, there's lots of agencies uh, agents uh, based in the US. Um, I'm the only one based over here. My colleague Dan was based here for a few years, but he was originally from LA, came over here for a few years, went back to LA. So I'm the only one based here. Uh, both me and Dan uh, book artists in UK and Europe um, and outside of North America. I do some stuff in Japan. I've done a few things in Australia. Uh, obviously done a lot in Europe, done some things in India. Um, so yeah, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a large booking agency. It's very, very big in the States. We have a you know good few acts over here that we look after. I mean, I look after In Me, Raging Speed On, uh, Upon a Burning Body, Danny Warsnop, um, loads, loads on Sumo Psycho, Wednesday 13, uh, mm. The Treatment from the UK, uh, and some really cool up-and-coming bands like Harriet and Led by Lanterns, um, Borders, uh, God Eater, uh, got a New Zealand band called Shepherd's Rain. Uh, Dan works with Fozzy, Buck Cherry, um and a bunch of uh he, he works with ginger in the us uh, which was just smashing out of the park at the moment yeah. we don't we don't have them over here uh but he's doing some great business in the state so dan basically books in the us and the uk i just put the uk europe and other parts if you know the demand's there for my artists yeah explain your day-to-day for me then uh at an agency hey, like this of course we'll, we'll jump onto the uh the surprise you're dead stuff in a sec but like yeah. what, what what does it take to be someone in your role uh, I mean, it's chaos. I mean, obviously, I've got various different roles, so I have to try and, uh, you know, assign parts of my day to make sure that I'm working on the booking agency part, working on the venue part, and then obviously working on the um, uh, surprise of dead stuff. So I've got, you know, as and when emails come in, you know, they get answered, they get dealt with. Uh, it's taken me a while to sort of juggle all these uh, together to make sure that I'm not missing people out. And then obviously, you know, I'll set time aside to, you know, book tours for my artists, submit them for festivals, submit them for support tours, um, you know, go, you know, arrange to head to London to go and meet people. Uh, obviously, that's not happened uh, since the pandemic, but uh, it's uh, it's part of my sort of weekly, um, week, not monthly, I wouldn't go there weekly, but it, it depends on whether I've got artists playing there. Whether I'm, you know, I'll go to London and have a meeting with a bunch of people down there to discuss festivals and stuff, um, support tours. Um, but yeah, you know, my day is taken up just basically emailing and phone calling. Really, uh, mm. no, it's, it's it's not as exciting as people think, but it's just kind of like you know, you're sitting there at a computer, just you know, bashing out emails, discussing, picking up the phone, ringing people, you know, mm. trying to find work for your artists. You know, when it comes to obviously booking shows in you know Birmingham or in, in Chester in my venue, it's 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 all the same thing really. I speak to the same people all the time, so I speak to the same agents about booking shows. I speak to the same agents about pitching my artists for shows. Um, so I'm you know I'm generally speaking to all the same people. Yeah. Um, have you got a? Um, is it is it you or is there someone at the agency that looks to bring on new artists? Like is that, um, is that I think we all to? do. I mean, everyone's always looking for the sort of the next big thing. Everyone likes the buzz of, you know, breaking an artist, you know, picking up an artist really, really, really young um, or fresh. You know, it doesn't have to be a young band. It could be a band that just popped onto the scene. Everyone wants and loves to have that artist that you can sort of pick up, grow, uh, getting mm-hmm. support slots, getting loads of festival offers. 
and grow them up to you know selling three thousand tickets. You know, we all do that. Every agent at the at the company is always looking for something that they think's got that superstar and that you can definitely one make money off and two you can grow. You know, but we also look for other artists that we can make money from from the off. You know, a band that you can send out for you know two, three, five, ten thousand a show because we're all based off commission. So it's kind of like you know the more the money, the more money the artist gets, the more money we make. So, you know, we want to find that fine balance between artists that you can make money off regularly and artists that you can grow, uh, you know, and develop over time. Yeah. What would you say then your, give me your top three tips on um, what kind of, I don't know, what a, a band would have to do or an artist would have to do to capture like your attention or someone at the agency? Um, <clears throat> it's difficult. I mean, the key thing is to be good. I mean, it's, it's, Everyone thinks that their music is incredible. You know, they'll write, they'll write some songs, but they really need to start, you know, speaking outside of their friend circle a bit more and finding out what people really think of it and get that sort of vibe. Because the amount of times that we get submissions for stuff and, you know, I can't listen to everything, but, I'll, you know, I'll pick some things, I'll have a listen, and it's just kind of like, you're just not ready. You're far from ready. And, you know, I sadly don't have time to go back to everyone and just say, look, you need to knuckle down get your craft ready, go and play some shows, get tight, you know, write some better music, you know, or it's, 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 it's subjective because what I find good, someone else might find good. So, you know, you, you need to sort of shop it around a few people to see if they're all saying the same thing, then there's obviously something there, but you might find someone else who's really likes what you're doing. But the, the first core thing is making sure you're writing some really, really solid music. You think it's the best music you've ever written, then get other people to check it out. I mean, the other cool thing, you know, so the other thing is to make sure that you've got a solid presence online, you know, make sure that I can find you. The amount of times, you know, someone says, oh, can you book my band? Yeah, where's all the links? You know, sense, make sure that when you're actually contacting somebody, all the information's there. I ain't going to go searching. You know, if someone says, book my band, I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. I'm not going to go and spend time searching for you online, try and find your social media profile. Make sure you've got all the information there and make sure you're on as many social media profiles as possible. Sometimes artists like to think, you know, they're, they're too cool for school. They don't want to do the whole social media thing. It's very hard to become an artist that hasn't got some platform somewhere, whether it's mm-hmm. through TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's really <laughs> to be able to build up a following monthly, uh, in this current climate so make sure you've got everything up to speed on that front um, and uh, I guess make sure you've got a plan you know if you uh, suddenly think that um, you're going to basically put out some records but make sure you've got a plan that you're discussing with people you want to work with yeah yeah definitely is there is there of course that there Involved in that was like your do's and don'ts. Um, if you've sent a band off then and said to, to do this, um, nine times out of 10, are they, are they not doing it? Are you kind of, are you seeing these more like lazy artists or do you think that the, the advice that you're giving these, these artists, they're definitely implementing? Um, I give some advice. I just, that you know, because I've got three different businesses on the go, and, you know, time is very, very short. I'm not able to give as much advice as I'd like to, you know. I mean, on the on the core Birmingham scene, you know, I come across bands that are really, really good. And I do work with them and I do advise them because they're there in front of me. I can talk to them. I'm at shows. I can see them. 
and I can give them advice there and then. It's a bit hard when someone you don't know sends you an email um, and then you're kind of like, you know, the amount of email submissions that come through either for shows or to be on my roster, it's immense. And it's hard to go back to everybody and just say, you need to be doing this, 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 and this, and this. You know, that's why there are people out there um, who are consultants that sort of help guide artists so that they're ready to make sure that they're, you know, they're they're ready to sort of take the next step, you know, and that's kind of, uh, you know, a lot of bands don't put enough effort into trying to find someone to consult them to basically give them a bit more advice of uh, what direction they should be going, what things they need to change before they're ready to sort of take that big swoop into, you know, finding a manager, finding a booking agent, finding a label. Because, you know, it's it's, um, if an artist comes to me and there's no team in place, it's really, really hard to sort of be the only person working on that artist. So, like, when a band comes to me and they've maybe got a manager and they've got a publicist and record label in or there you know record label from further down the line but if there's a team already in place it's a lot easier for me to work with them because you've got more people working on that one artist you know I've taken over loads of artists over the years where it's just me and a band and then it almost feels like you're co-managing the band at the same time rather than just booking the shows and trying to grow them you're discussing merch items with them you're, you're talking about labels you're talking about you know press campaigns you're, you know almost suddenly you've become this micromanager of a band but you're only getting 10% of the workload that you're putting in when you're getting shows. You're not making any money in the sales. You're not making any money on the merch. You, you know, you, you, you're working a lot of your time giving your advice to artists for free. And you know, if you really believe in that artist, you, you know, you might do that anyway. You might go the extra mile to help those artists. But it's uh, a lot easier when a band's already got a team in place. Is that a turn-off then for you? Um, it makes it easier, that's for sure. It makes it a lot easier to... Um, work with somebody when there's a team in place. It doesn't completely turn me off, not at all. You know, there's, if someone sends me something like, for example, like Harriet, you know, they are a fantastic band. They've got their head switched on. They sent me their stuff. It was fucking insane. And I had to I had to work with them. I had to pick it up. It was really, really good stuff. Um, you know, management and, you know, press and PR would come later, which it has done. You know, I picked them up. They've signed to Church Road Records. Um, you know, the rest of it will come into place. And there will be a team there at some point. You know, I can start getting them shows because they've got a buzz and they've got, you know, people within the band who have direction and they know what they're doing and they have the contacts themselves to be able to help that bit further. So it's not so much, you know, a one-way street. It's both of us, the team working together and the band have got enough people in that, enough members in that band who have enough contacts that can help them, you know, push that little bit further. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's contacts and connections is a big thing. You know, if you're an up-and-coming band and you haven't made friends, you haven't made connections, you haven't gone out there to try and, you know, make yourself known to, you know, if you're a brand-new band in Birmingham, for example, and you haven't gone out there to try and find out who the promoters are and speak to them, go to their shows and speak to them, find out who, you know, the press and PR people are in Birmingham and know who they are, you know, that's that's your first port of call, really, is to make sure that you know as many people as you can in the industry so that when the time is ready for you to make that move, you've got all those connections there that you can ring up and call. Can you do this? Can you have this? And it makes it a little bit easier once you've got those connections. Yeah. I was going to say as well, like it's not a, uh, it's not a quick process either. 
Um, no, not at all. It's, a, it, you it's know. quite slow. And I think a lot of people <coughs> maybe get turned off by the fact that you're saying all of this, which sounds like it, it doesn't sound like an easy step-by-step, but no. it does sound like a quite, maybe like a straightforward road, but um, it can take a lot of time. And I, I guess that sometimes does put artists off. It can take a long time. You know, it's, it's an investment. It's an investment on all fronts. You mm. know, if you're starting a band, don't think you're going to make any money for a while. You know, if you're getting into a band to make money, you need to have a you know a very big team very quickly. You know, we can all talk about some artists that have you know got to pretty big heights very very quickly. That's because they were either created by the industry, they already had some very very big industry connections, or there's that one opportunity where some massive manager happened to spot them at a gig in London and thought they're the best things in sludge bed, pick them up and away you go. You know. That, that situation happens very rarely, uh, but it can happen. You know, it's it's not to say that, you know, you go and play a show, some big connection people ain't going to be there uh, and make it a bit easier for you, but it is a long slog. You know, it's never going to be an easy find. You know, you've got to grow. If, if you're a band from, you know, wherever you are, is make sure that you can pack out audiences in your hometown. You know, there's, there's so many bands these days that want to tour after they've released one track and they haven't even played two shows in their hometown yet and they also they already want to go and tour and play Manchester and Leeds and Glasgow and Newcastle and it's like you know as a promoter unless you've got a core audience that comes to a specific venue like you know if, if uh, Rebellion in Blackpool for example they have a you know a core audience that will go there no matter what's playing there aren't that many venues out there where people will just turn into a venue to go and see who's playing because they trust that venue to put on good nights. There's a few, there's not loads. There's a few venues that do that. But, you know, the, when you're a band from a, you know, whether it's from Wrexham, whether it's from fucking Sheffield, Birmingham, whatever, uh, is when you're playing hometown shows, build up an audience, sell out a few shows, you know, when you're bringing out 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 people to your gigs in your hometown, there may be there's an opportunity there to branch out and start touring because a promoter's only going to really book you if there's a draw. You know, we book touring artists all the time, whether it's from an agency. Um, most of the time they come from agencies. Sometimes they come from managers directly. And it's like if there's a, a reason to book the band, you know, there's a new album out, they're getting some singles, getting played on radio, they're getting some good press. I know the agent, I know the manager. I trust them to give me a band that's, on the way up, so I'll invest early, I'll put a show on, it'll grow. You know, a local band comes to me and says, can we play your show? I've got to ask them the question of is, what are you going to bring to my gig? You know, if you're just going to play my show, no one's going to come and see you. It, unless it's an absolute sold-out show, and I'm giving them that mega opportunity to play in front of 100 people that have never seen that band before. A lot of the times when a band comes to Birmingham and they've got the opportunity to add local supports, it's a touring band that might sell 30 or 40 tickets. But what I want is those other bands to be able to add to that show and make that show 100 tickets. So the touring band gets the benefit, the local bands get the benefit, and all of a sudden we've got a good gig. You know, I'm making money, the bands are getting paid, uh, and, you know, we're all on a win-win. But if a local band is bringing nobody to shows, it's really hard for me to go to, yeah, guys, I love your music, but... I need you to be bringing, you know, bringing something more than just music to my show. Hmm. And this, um, it's, it's, this may be, this may be a question for uh, Ian Shaw, the businessman, and not Ian Shaw, the the, the music lover. Um, yeah. Where do you stand on 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 buy-ons? 
Um, <clears throat> they happen. They, they still happen to this day. I mean, it depends on the level. I mean, if there is a mega artist who is playing in front of a thousand people a night. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of, of what, what, what that artist could be as in like, at, at what level do you go? That's worth it. I mean, it's, it, it all, it's all, it, it can all be worth it depending on how much it's costing you. I mean, you know, there are many rumors over the years of bands taking out certain bands for 15, 20,000 pound buy-ons, but it depends on the level of the show that it is. You know, if you're playing in front of 3,000 people a night on a 30-day tour across Europe and you're investing £30,000 as a buy-on into that from it, but you've got to think about the band that you're supporting. You know, if you're supporting, I'm trying to think, you know, if you're supporting a Motorhead or an Iron Maiden or something like that where... You know, the people are going to see those shows. They don't really care much about the support bands. Mm -hmm. You're not really investing that much into it. You're, you're just going out there to tour with those bands and you're going to have a, you know, you'll have a great time. You'll play these shows. But will you build an audience out of it? If you were offered a tour with, you know, a rock band in a thousand cat room that's, you know, growing and you're, you're paying, you know, 250, 500 pound a show to go on those shows and it's, you know, a 10 day tour across the UK or a 30 day tour across Europe, you'll get some benefit out of it. But, you know, I've seen many a band who have bought onto shows over the years who have done fuck all with it. They've basically, just, they've just bought onto those shows and they've just played those gigs. You know, if you're going to buy onto a tour, then, you know, make sure there's an album coming out. Make sure that, you, you know, you're building off the back of it, that you're getting the most out of that tour. It's, you know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's a big investment. And nine times out of 10, if you're buying onto a tour, you're not getting paid at all per night. So you have to think about the other costs of it all. Is if like, if you're already paying to go onto a tour, you've then also got to add on top of that the cost of a van each day, the fuel each day, maybe a driver, a tour manager, accommodation, eating. You know, you might get a rider, you might get fed on the tour, um, but it's going to cost you a lot more than just the actual buy on itself. Um, I'm not a big fan of them. I don't think I've ever done a buy-on. I don't think any of my tours have ever actually had a buy-on per se. But artists, you know, it's a hard time out there. And, you know, it's if you're coming over from Australia or the States, it's costing you five or six, seven grand before you even played, you know, played a show. So, you know, sometimes when you're a career musician and you're coming over, you want those costs covered so that you're making money from the shows from the off rather than mm. having to soak up a five, six, seven thousand pound getting here with all your gear and your production and your band members and your crew members. And then, you know, you're not making any money from the first five or six shows because you're using the profit from those shows to pay for the cost of getting here in the first place is it, it, you know, it, it's hard for artists to make money. So sometimes buy-ons are a necessity for them to go out there. And, you know, there's always, it's, a, it's definitely an American thing. It's not, you know, it definitely happens over here a lot more, uh, but it's definitely uh, still happens quite frequently in the US. Right. But, you know, it, you've just got to decide whether it's the right route for you to take or not. I mean, yeah. if you can, you know, some people confuse ticket buys to buy-ons. Um, so some promoters, I mean, I don't do it. Um, some promoters may say to a band, here's 50 tickets. There are five or a pop. I need you to buy all those tickets off me now 
and then sell your tickets to your friends and then that way you, you know you get your money back you know that's pay to play it's a, it's a it's a different thing to a buy on because th- most of those pay to play shows are four or five bands that no one's ever heard of all buying to be on a show in london with you know and hopefully playing to each other's mates you know a buy on specifically should be you know a band that people have heard of a guaranteed an audience and you going to get something out of it rather than the pay-to-play thing There's, those are two different things hmm. i think we've been discussing a lot of things on more of a um a national touring level or maybe like a world, worldwide touring level tell me a little bit more about um surprise you're dead and uh and i know you've already kind of covered why it came around uh but that's also a part of your day today yes uh i was surprised there's obviously a promotions company in birmingham we do about 200 shows a year uh we range from you know 50 tickets at the Sunflower Lounge, up to one and a half thousand tickets, the O2 Institute main room. We do a variety of, you know, touring acts, but we also, you know, develop and work with some of the local Birmingham scene um, quite strongly. You know, we work with them to do sort of like EP launch parties. We generally don't do a lot of showcase shows. We don't really put, you know, four local bands together for the sake of it. Um, there are other uh, there are other promoters in Birmingham that do those sorts of shows where there's four or five shows and they're the O2 Academy or they're all you know they're all over the place. They kind of mix bills. <clears throat> They've been doing it for a long time. They have a core audience that comes to their events. Um, we focus mostly on sort of like touring artists that come through. We'll add some local bands to that show to help those local artists, but also to you know boost our shows up. And then you know there are artists that we work really strongly with that we think that they're ready for the next step. So that we, if we've got a really, really good show, we'll try and bring them into the show to help them grow as an artist. And then we kind of work with them on EP launch parties and help them all out. And obviously with some of my connections, I have picked up a few sort of Birmingham bands that I don't work with, um, but I just help them out. So like Axiom, for example, really good friend of mine uh, that we, we, you know, I came across on SoundCloud once um, really like them. And then I, you know, I help them get on Tech Fest, I help them get on Art Tangent, I help them get on Bloodstock. Um, I've just been helping them. And then they've been asking me for advice. You know, we're ready to sort of release an album next year. Who should we speak to? So I've connected them with all my friends who can sort of help consult them and get, get their house in order, ready to sort of, you know, go out there next year and put an album out. Um, and, we, you know, we do a lot of work like that with a lot of bands and we advise them. You know, what, what, you know, if they've got any questions, we were always there, we're always open. Um, and we speak to a lot of bands at our shows and they can always come up to us and just say, oh, we want to do an album launch party, what do you reckon? We want to do an EP show, what do you reckon? What should we do next? How do we, you know, how do we do this? And we're always throwing advice to try and help the local scene uh, to sort of, you know, if the bands are ready. You know, there's plenty of bands that we put on our shows that are great, but they're just not ready for that next sort of step yet. Um, mm-hmm. And we just, you know, we're keeping an eye on them. And then when they're ready, we'll be coaxing them in the same way that we coach the others. You say you're keeping an eye on them then. So in, in your eyes, what does a, like a successful band look like? Is it a pop in social media? Is it a, a street team? Like what brings in ticket sales? Um, graft. I mean, you know, there are, <clears throat> there are some bands that are fantastic, but they're all, mus- you know, it's, they're all musicians. So I always find it's good to have a band that's got, a mix of people in it so you've got somebody in the band who is really focused on sort of growing a social media presence there's a band there's a guy in the band or you know a person in the band who's got the business head on who understands the mechanics of like prs ppo is starting to get the grasp of that sort of stuff and the merchandising part of it all if you've got a band that are all musos 
that don't really understand the outer understandings of the industry, they could be the best band in the world, but they're going to be really, really hard to work with because they don't grasp the other parts of the industry. So it's nice when you've got a mix in a band where you've got different members who kind of get assigned different tasks in the band. So you'll have one that deals with trying to get shows. You'll have one that deals with, you know, merch. You'll have one that deals with, um, you know, getting the band logistically from show to show and all that sort of stuff. It's it's nice when you've got a band that's got those sorts of people and it doesn't always happen. Um, but I think it's it's good if you if you're in a band is trying to understand little bits more about the industry. It helps. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Um, I've only got a few more questions for you, Ian. Thank you, of course, for uh, taking the time with with us today. Um, one thing that's a little bit kind of, I feel like it's sneaking up on us. Um, I don't know how you and maybe the guys at Surprise Your Dead are feeling about this or yeah. the guys at TKO are feeling about this, but just just personally you, um, COVID passports. This has been a, a very highly debated topic. Sure. Um, Feel free to give me a politician's answer with this one if you if, uh, if you want to. But like, yeah, I, how I, do you I, feel? I have COVID right now. Yeah, I yeah. picked up. I, you know, I picked it up at the weekend. Uh, I could have picked it up from anywhere. You know, it could have been one of the gigs I was at. It could have been the festival I was at. Um, but you know, I tested positive yesterday twice. I'm still waiting for the PCR results to come back today to confirm it. But you know, I, it hits people differently. But the I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of, there's no other way of saying it really. It's like, if you go into a show, it's a risk. There's, there's, there's no two ways about it. You can try and do what you can to reduce that risk, um, but it's your decision whether you want to go and see some live music or not. Um, I think we've got to a point in all of this that we kind of have to crack on and just accept that it's there. Um, there, you know, it's we're in a very Brexit situation again. You know, you've got a big, massive portion of people who are very scared and don't want to go out and do things, and you've got another portion of the, you know, the population who are very ready to go out there and do and get back to normal. It's that fine balance. Everyone's completely different. Everyone's got different circumstances. Everyone's got different illnesses, ailments. You know, th- there are various different reasons why certain people don't want to go out, and there's other reasons why they want to go out. You know, mental health. You know, there's there's loads of different reasons. Why people don't want to go out and do want to go out. Um, this whole sort of COVID passport thing, it's not foolproof. It's, you know, it's the LFT thing is flawed. There's no other way about it. I mean, you know, if you've got 20,000 people going to your event and you tell everybody that they've all got to do an LFT test before they go into the event, it'll capture some people who the, the tests are picking up the, 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 the virus in them. So it stops that portion of people going to the event. I have been at home all week since Monday. I haven't left the house, so I picked it up at the weekend. It took four, maybe five days for the, the test to tell me that I'd got it. So are you so doing it daily? I was testing every day. Yeah. I because Because obviously... Because I'm in the events industry, before I go to any of my gigs, I'm always testing to make sure that I don't have it. But the proof is, is it takes four or five days to show up in the first place. So it's not a foolproof way. But if I had it, then I wouldn't go to the gig. So it stopped, mm-hmm. it, it stopped me dead from going. So that, that is one help. Obviously, the vaccine part, it doesn't stop people getting it. It just reduces 
the potential risk of becoming really ill from it. And I think that's kind of the balance we have now is where we have to sort of adapt to the fact that this is in a, it's, it, it, it's not going away. I don't think mm-hmm. it's ever going to go away. We're going to be dealing with this for many, many years. You know, it's going to be maybe four or five years before we all treat it as a normal cold after we've had five years of worth of, you know, data and testing and the vaccine changing and whatever. And it's just, you know, covered passports make it secure. Um, I don't agree with the vaccine passport route. I don't think that's uh, a way forward because there are people who can't have it. Um, we all know it's not completely foolproof. You know, the va- none of the vaccines are 100%. They don't eradicate it. They don't cure it. They just prevent you from becoming ill. The, the testing part is the part that I think we should be doing more regularly as a nation, as a world. I think people should be checking more regularly whether they've got it to stop themselves from going out. Um, and I think that's just the narrative that's going to happen moving forward is obviously, you know, all the O2 venues, all the Academy Music Group venues, the Live Nation venues in the UK, they're all COVID passports. So you either have to show the test that you've either had the vaccine or you've got the antibodies. Uh, Manchester Academy have just announced that they're doing it for their four venues. Um, you know, all the festivals are doing a version of it. So I think it's definitely going to be a way forward. But I think COVID passport is fine. Vaccine passport isn't. I don't think the vaccine passport, which the government have kind of pushed towards, is uh, the right route. I think the COVID passport is on what we should be doing where possible. Um, and if we don't enforce it, which is, again, fine, I just, you know, I would wish that people had the common sense to make sure that if they're going to a gig or an event or a club night, is they do a test beforehand. I know it's not foolproof, but it just stops those people who do pick it up going out mm. and it just reduces the risk a little bit. I don't think yeah. the risk is ever going to go away. Yeah. I hope me, you and I can, can talk again in, in 12, 18 months and uh, we have like a little bit more clarity on this subject, yeah. see how it maybe has affected um, touring festivals as we, we, we move forward. Um, Ian, I got one more question for you, and um, I again thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I'm sorry that you're not feeling. I don't know if you're not feeling good or you've just. No, I mean, the- <laughs> I felt far worse. I have a little cough. I have a little irritation at the back of my throat currently, and that seems to be it. Could all be downhill from here. I mean, I only tested positive yesterday, so we'll see how things go. I'll, uh, don't worry, guys. I will check in on Ian. It'll, we'll, we'll make sure he's all good. Yeah, my last question for you then is um, advice for your younger self. If you could maybe speak to teenage you right now or yeah. and, and, and basically say this is what's going to come up in, in your career, uh, someone who's going to want to kind of step into your, your, your shoes, what, what would you tell them? I would say stop partying, knuckle down, uh enjoy the ride but be serious about it when i when i first started it i didn't realize i was going to do it for a full-on living um it was just kind of like doing it for fun um but i feel like if i'd have gone but you know i i wish i'd have started earlier i was only sort of early to mid-20s when i first started if i'd have made that decision when i came out of school or i was in university that's what i wanted to do um i would have started a lot sooner and I've been happier and hadn't gone through all those other jobs that I wanted. Um, 
but yeah, I'd definitely be sitting thinking because, you know, back then I was having the club nights. I was making, you know, three, four grand uh, every club night that I was putting on. I didn't invest it. I didn't save it. I just splurged it. And, you know, I'm just being the older, more sensible guy now, telling the younger dude, just pack it in. Don't go out partying so much. You know, be sensible. Use the money wisely. Bank it. Invest it. And then, you know, make sure you're a bit more focused on things and don't treat it so much as a party. Honest words. That's pretty much all I'd say to myself. A massive thank you to Ian. And for more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Famous Co. That's at The Famous C-O. My name is Zaid. Tap that subscribe or follow button and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.